we have to start to think about how we stop this getting worse because it is getting worse <laughs> and our processes and our policies that we decide on have to take all of these things into consideration. It can't just be for the privileged few, which has been happening in the past. On today's show, I'm talking to Cherie Aitchison, the Global Director of Diversity, Equality and Inclusion at PECON, who's also the author of a new book. More about that in our interview with her. On the show today, I'm also joined by Sonia Barlow as a guest co-host, and she's the founder of Like-Minded Females. This is Tech Talks, your twice-weekly technology podcast with myself, David Savage, where we talk to leaders from across the industry and bring you some commentary and opinion. And of course, happy International Women's Day for yesterday. So today is the day after International Women's Day when this goes out, although we're recording on International Women's Day, uh, and I'm joined by Sonia Barlow, a diversity, inclusion and and equality coach, founder of Like-Minded Females, who's been on this plenty of times before, but nonetheless, I I hope we've picked up some more listeners since you were last on. I'm so excited to be on, and I'm sure we have. Um, I actually rave about this podcast in every single show or workshop that I do. So if anything, I'm pretty sure I've directed new customers your way. Well, you're probably doing a more effective job of it than I am then. So <laughs> how are you this morning anyway? I'm very well, thank you. Um, I I feel like it's my birthday today. I was mentioning that I've received more happy International Women's Day messages than I have on my own birthday. So I definitely feel like people think this is either my day or that I'm very affected by it <laughs> well i mean I, I, I there's an element of me that's not overly surprised by that given the line of work that you're in and also i as i was saying i find the whole happy birthday thing on linkedin very odd very 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 odd um i on my birthday you can, you, you know i got I'd, not hundreds but lots of messages of people who i just didn't know um which is strange uh, because obviously people have just clicked the automated happy birthday button. Um, but why, I'm glad that, sorry. Why do you not take it off? I don't know. I don't know. I think this is a whole different debate, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's good though that people are, are wishing you happy International Women's Day, right? I mean, whatever the motivations and anything else, it's good that it's getting traction. I definitely think so. And I believe that, not just based on the messages I've received, but the work that I've seen done around it has been exceptional this year, um, especially with companies who have understood from a, from from the start. I mean, you know, from the start of the year or kind of the end of end of last year, that it's important that they need to run a substantial campaign around it, and equally from the community groups who have reached out to say we know it's important but we don't understand why and so a lot of people have actually gone and done their own education around it to raise mm-hmm. awareness to increase exposure and 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 to and to fill their own knowledge gaps because i do believe that a couple of years ago international women's day just came out of the blue and was quite trendy and a fad but many didn't really know what it meant and this year we're really focusing on the history the impact um and the policies that are going to change at the back of it mm. well look We're going to get into a whole bunch of that stuff, but let's play the interview with Cherie, uh, first of all. So Cherie from Pecon, uh, she's our guest, and then myself and Sonia will be back with some commentary and just chatting around this whole subject afterwards. 
So today I'm chatting to Cherie. Thanks for taking some time out of your day to, to chat to me. Uh, you are the Global Director of Diversity, Equity and Inclusion at PECON. Absolutely, yeah. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, and you've been at PECON, what, since about September, October last year? Yeah, September last year, yeah, yeah. How are you finding the role? I mean, I wouldn't have came to PECON if I wasn't excited about what we do. The the ability to create something from one place that affects thousands and thousands of employees is something that's incredibly exciting for me, being able to do something that really changes the industry standard around inclusion for me um, is incredibly exciting. And we've really been able to do lots and lots in that space. So expand it out, it feels more than six months for sure. Yeah, no, I bet. Just just to be, and sorry if this is a dumb question, but is your role a mixture of, of kind of internal and external? Or, you know, are you consulting with clients externally for PECON or are you looking at the, the structures internally more? Um, so my role is split across a number of different areas. So I own our internal diversity, equity, inclusion. You know, what does it mean to work at PECON? What does our processes, our policies, et cetera, mean? But I also own the vision for our Include product, which is a product to help organizations measure understand things around diversity inclusiveness non-discrimination and i own that with our chief product officer and then i also like you mentioned spend a lot of time with our customers and potential customers that want to use a product like that to really help them with best practice you know this is how we how to use it this is how to embed accountability and this is the best way to do it um, at scale the internal piece yes you, you, I think you mentioned before that it was kind of this is exciting. It's kind of a blank canvas. It, it, had they had someone specifically looking after D, E, and I as a role previously? Um, no. So the role I had in PCON is the first role that they've had as a, as a global director of D, E, and I. Um, and the, I love going into organisations that are at that stage that are really um, wanting to do more, not sure how to do it. I come in with the know-how and the ability to move fast to make things happen and put things into place, challenging the things along the way. Um, and certainly when I came to PECON, that's what we were able to do. And, you know, we're a company that moves fast. So I've been able to do things relatively quickly, um, which is why the six months feels like it's been much, much more than six months, been very condensed in. Um, but yeah, the, the first step off in that role. And again, all of the roles that I've held um, in the industry and senior leadership have always been first time roles for those organizations. So mm -hmm. um, it feels like it's something that that's my, my MO, I think. Just out of interest, where, where do you report into? Where does that role sit within your organization? Because I guess sponsorship to be able to change these things, that's usually important to, to the impact yes, that you can have on an organization. Yeah, so I report both into the chief people officer and our chief product officer, and my executive sponsor is the chief technology officer. So I have lines of accountability right. across everything, really. <laughs> and I also am able to tap into our CEO when, if and when he's needed um, for that piece that you mentioned around accountability, around sponsorship. But it was really important to me when I came to PECON around those lines of responsibility because this work doesn't just sit you know, on an internal piece, it sits across quite literally in PECON everything, how we develop the product, what we develop, why we develop it, and how we help our customers use it. So um, I, I feel like I probably answered almost everybody. <laughs> Most people would probably expect your sponsor to be the chief people officer, right? Why is it the chief technology officer? Well, I think people expect it to be the chief people officer because you're making an assumption that it sits in a people remit, um, and it doesn't. And it shouldn't. 
Um, and the reason why it's our chief tech officer is because she is incredibly passionate about diversity, equity and inclusion. And she oversees the entire technology department. She's built that team up and that's her responsibility. So it's incredibly important to me that I am connected in to that person because my work directly affects her work and her work directly affects my work. Um, so her being the executive sponsor gives both of us the connection that we need to make sure that we are aligned, etc but also to make sure that actually we're doing the things that affect both sides of the coin in the right way. So I would imagine then the fact that you have a, a computer science background is quite <laughs> useful when you're talking to a chief technology officer, because you kind of share a, a similar language, right? In that regard. Yeah. And I suppose I, that's, that's quite rare for someone in your position. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I started my career a long time ago as a software engineer um, and I have lived and breathed the problems that I am now working to fix and I think it's a much more authentic way certainly in technology companies or tech focused companies um, to have that background because it is authentic I know what we're trying to fix I know what it's like also to try and meet deadlines from an engineering perspective what it means to have technical debt and try and fix it later and so on and being able to have that authenticity and transparency with the people that I'm trying to help and you know, change behaviours with gives me a different lens than if I was just a purely HR background. Now, whilst you say it allows you to be authentic, there is also, and that's absolutely true, there, there is also that recognition that you are quite rare, right? <laughs> and obviously, we're, we're hoping that more organisations do have people in a role like yours. So what would your advice be to those who don't have the, the technical background, who are trying to deliver that same kind of change, how should they, how can they try and go about it and bridge that gap where they maybe don't have that understanding that you do? Yeah, start to get comfortable with data. And I mean, start to invest in understanding what data science means to you. You will need to figure that out and you will need to go on courses and so on if it's not something that you're really aware of doing. Start to understand actually what does it mean to use methodologies like Agile and so on, because one of the pitfalls of the ENI is that people will roll out strategies however long they are in an approach that you know moves from one stage to the other. People's lives don't move in that way. Last year, if anything, has told us that, that we pivot, we move, we change what we need, when we need it, and how we need it. And we there are great, certainly like agile software methodologies that allow us to do that. And what we need people to do is start to work in that kind of mindset. Um, the data piece is incredibly important. I cannot stress how many requests I get from people almost every day on LinkedIn to my email asking me, how do I deal with data? And it's like, if you don't know how to do it now, you need to go and invest in your own training. Because firstly, data is an incredibly sensitive piece. There's a lot of legal ramifications, etc. And you should never be doing it without you know, your legal team and so on. But to actually understand what it means around representation, inclusion data, aggregating that in a way that makes sense is a really big part of this job um, because it allows you to embed that accountability outside of just, okay, we're trying to do this. Well, no, actually, that's not good enough. It's We're trying to do this. We've seen that the, the change has been in this space. We're looking at these kinds of data sets when we cross over between, let's say, women and people of colour to look at women of colour and so on. Um, and that's why data is, is super important. And I guess I'm in a very privileged position that I'm super comfortable with you know, data and the technology side of things, because that was quite literally what I was paid to do for a number of years. Is, is that, because it's interesting, isn't it? There, there is this kind of perception that perhaps for some 
this might be a tick the box exercise. I, I don't know whether that's necessarily true. I kind of think most people, most organizations set up some kind of a, I, I don't know, some kind of a function with, 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 with the very best of intentions. But I suppose if they don't give you the accountability that you have, or they don't have that level of knowledge, then it could turn into a tick box exercise because without the data and without being able to aggregate results, et cetera, it, it might not have the level of impact it needs to have. Yeah, I think I think the really important point is that intention and impact don't always align. And regardless of whether your intentions are good, if the impact is not good, then it doesn't matter. It wasn't good enough. Um, good intentions don't make systemic change. And what, what we need is organizations to understand that you have to invest in this. I talk about this quite a lot and I wrote about it for Forbes recently. It's like we can't keep conflating passion for skill set in DE&I leadership. Because what's important here is that people have the skills as well to get this stuff done. Being a member of an underrepresented group with lived experience is not enough to deliver a strategy. What we need is a skill set to really move forward with purpose, to listen to all of the different perceptions and needs of an organization, and then be able to bring that together into a strategy with metrics of accountability, metrics of success and failure and so on, and then move forward. And what we're seeing at the minute is a lot of potentially tokenization of putting people into roles that they're not equipped for, skilled for. And then they also don't have the background of being given the time to train on things and so on. And so nothing changes because the organization has put someone in, hasn't set them up for success, and then wondered why nothing has changed. And that's why those lines of accountability are important. It's why budgets are important. It's why responsibility is important. DE&I doesn't just sit in one small box and think about it if you, if you were hiring a director of engineering you would want that person to have the experience of doing that work for a number of years at least before you put them into a role that shapes your entire engineering department DEI needs to be reviewed in the same way so as we do actually make change as opposed to just posting you know lofty statements and pretty graphics every other week yeah Absolutely. Um, look, the, the last year has obviously been incredibly challenging for people on a number of different levels. What do you think the impact of the pandemic has been, broadly speaking? Uh, and I ask that because I've seen a lot of conversations where people are going, it's been, on one hand, very bad from an inclusion point of view, and others mm-hmm. saying, well, there are there are benefits there as well. And and absolutely, I, I imagine that, that that both can be true, but what's your opinion of, of what's gone on? Yeah, I, I think that we knew that in the world that there were huge gaps of inequity, that some people are greatly, dis- greatly disadvantaged while others are greatly advantaged. And the pandemic has just widened those gaps, but not just in a way that's widening them, people are dying because of it. And, that, and that's the very harsh reality of that. For some people, this like the, the, the conversation around remote work and flexible benefits and so on has been catapulted into a conversation that many people have been trying to have for years. And that is a good thing because we should never go back to the way it was previously because to be very frank, that way didn't work for a lot of people, especially people with different disabilities and neurodiversities and caring responsibilities and so on. It just didn't work, but it was forcing people into this mold. Um, And we're able to change that now, but we've also seen people struggle, people from poor backgrounds, people from different ethnic minority backgrounds and the cross-section of that um, losing jobs at a much higher rate than their, their majority demographic counterparts, struggling to make ends meet. And it's it's about what we can do now to make sure that we are not continuing these things. And that's what I think is 
is super important. Like I'm, I'm personally, I'm very privileged now. I have no financial worries. However, when I grew up, that was not the case. I grew up on free school meals. My parents were on benefits. And my brother went on furlough um, at the start of the year last year. And so I was financially supporting him and my dad all throughout last year, which was obviously something I didn't expect I had to do. Mm. My dad passed away in November. My brother's only now getting back to work next week. So I've been like balancing all of these different things, but I'm in a very privileged position because I can afford to do that. There are lots of people that are not, that when that happens, the whole world turns upside down. What what do we do about that? And that's what I mean whenever it's, we have to start to think about how we stop this getting worse because it is getting worse. <laughs> and our processes and our policies that we decide on have to take all of these things into consideration. It can't just be for the privileged few, which has been happening in the past. Listening to what you're talking about there, I just wondered if you'd, if you'd had had some opinion on, on the Spotify um new policy when it comes to working from home they've gone down the route of obviously saying that it doesn't matter where you are based they will pay you the same salary which is in direct conflict to policies of of twitter and um and facebook and i think it's quite interesting because they've placed inclusion very much at the heart of that by saying that there are some demographics uh, minority groups who might be disadvantaged by not living in san francisco or or new york and therefore they want to make sure that they can hire anyone regardless of who they are regardless of where they are do you think it's enough for one company to come out and say that to, to have a, a have a big impact on the industry as a whole or do you, or do you think it's going to take a hell of a lot more um I, th- I think like we know that global talent is moving around and if you want to hire the best people you have to move with it um one company doing something is not enough on its own no but one company doing something with a brand like that will influence wider than just itself and you know that's that's similar to you know why we do we do a pecan as well what we do doesn't just influence ourselves it influences all of the customers that use us all the people that pay attention to us and with spotify allowing people to put their life first and then work second you're enabling people to feel a connection to a company but you're also enabling people to work in the best way for them and we need more companies to move in that direction to really understand that where you're at isn't a priority, but actually just getting what you need to do done is. Um, and I do think that will influence much bigger than, you know, just the four walls of Spotify for sure. Yeah, and absolutely. When I say, is it enough? What I mean yeah. is, is is it big enough that enough that the employees will look and go, well, hang on a minute. If they can do it, why can't yes. my organization do it? And when you've got a global war for talent around technology that you do have, that will resonate far yeah. further than those four walls, right? Absolutely, yeah. I, I definitely agree that there will be conversations from other companies similar to Spotify with employees asking, you know, why are we not? And if we're not doing it now, when will we do it? Um, employee expectations are changing rapidly <laughs> because the world is changing rapidly. And so either employers will step up or people will leave and go somewhere else. Look, if we take a, a, a slight pivot away from, from the world of Pecon and, and what's going on within organisations, you, you have got a book coming out called Demanding More. Um, just very quickly, why, why is it that you felt that now was the time to write a book? Um, last year, um, and I, I write quite a lot for like Forbes and, and, and different um, publications and so on, um, a publisher reached out to me because they had seen my work um, in lots of different spaces. And... I write very transparently and write, I guess, very direct, probably is the word I would use. And what I was seeing quite a lot in the industry was just that people 
will talk about inclusion as it's something that you take a step forward from without actually really paying attention to the the exclusion that has brought us to this position. You know, people, people like us have made decisions in the past years and years ago, even last year, last week, whatever it is, that have brought us to the position where we are now living in a really exclusive world. And what I wanted to do was write something that really answered to that, that really talked about the deliberate exclusion and discriminatory decisions, policies, world-leading decisions that brought us to the position we're in now, then moved forward to talk about what inclusion means in a real-world sense globally, but provide people with really meaningful things to do. So it's not just theoretical. I give the, every chapter of the book is practical. It's to tell people how to understand, how to unpack privilege, how to unpack what your own biases are, how to really be an ally as opposed to just thinking posting a black square is enough. And every chapter is paired with an industry leader interview. So we have Anne Bowden, who's the CEO of Starling Bank, talking about what she's done in Starling to make it more inclusive. We have Brian Reeves, who's the Chief Diversity Officer at Dell, sharing about what he has done with Dell at a global scale. We have Kike Winde, who's the CEO of the Black Young Professionals Network, sharing about why she's doing that and how we support black people from all different backgrounds and a whole host of other interviews. And, and the point of that is, is that we need people to move past just this awareness phase. I need people to move from like awareness to education to action. And the book does that. Um, so I really hope that people people find it useful. Um, I wrote it in, in throughout the pandemic, so it was unexpected to write a book um, during a global pandemic, but I'm, I'm hoping it's useful for people. And look, whilst I don't want to to give people reasons not to read the book, it'd be really interesting to, to find out if there were one or two things that you would suggest um, to help people be allies, because as you point out there, you know, more, more than just a black square on Instagram that does sometimes feel like a tick the box and it's, it's a, it's a bandwagon to jump on. You, you're talking there to, you know, Anne Bowden and, 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 uh, and others who've got a hell of a lot of, um, of opportunity and resource to, 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 uh, to articulate and to, and to get their message across. Not everyone has that. Mm -hmm. So if, if you're, if you're quite a junior person in an organization, you don't have that same platform, but you do want to be an ally, what what few things can you do to really help make an impact? So the first thing is, remember that influence isn't just within the workplace. And, and when I wrote the book, the, the reason I wrote it was, I wanted people even like my dad to be able to understand what diversity and inclusion meant. Because a lot of books are really focused towards just business folks. And it's not just business people that influence the world. That would be very facetious to think so. Regardless of what level you are at, you have a realm of influence with your friends, with your family, with the people that you spend time with every day, whether it's online or in person. Have these conversations. When you see something in the news that's happening around, you know, discrimination or exclusion, talk about it and hold people to account. You know, when you're at that table on Christmas Day or in different celebratory events and someone says something that's not OK, call them out on it. Have that conversation. What I would also say is that People, you don't have to have loads and loads of money to make a difference. You know, tweeting something, retweeting something, amplifying something, and simply just being willing to put yourself in the conversation. Like when you see something that's happening that isn't okay, intervening if you feel like you're privileged enough to do so. Like I intervene in conversations all the time if I think somebody's talking to someone in a way that isn't acceptable or, um, you know, 
questioning someone in a way that's being very vindictive, I'll say, well, why are you asking them that? Why are you talking about it in that way? And think about the different things that you can do to actively intervene. It's what we need to do as allies is to stop, you know, I guess, afterwards saying, oh, yeah, that was horrible. I can't believe that you had to deal with that. No, no, no. What I need you to do is actually at the time say, well, hold on. What's going on here? Why did you think that that was okay? We don't do that here. Um, and that's what I would love for us to get to. Um, and I think genuinely, I think the family piece is a huge thing that we need um, everybody to get behind and very specifically white people to, to get behind because um, our families influence more than just, you know, our family. They influence how we think, they influence how we live, they influence what we might do in the future. So if we can bring all of those people on in a, in a journey, that would be fantastic. Well, look, thank you very much for spending a few minutes talking to us this morning. I really hope that the, the book is a success. I'm sure it will be. Perfect. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. Okay. Where would you like to start? Normally, I kind of impose myself unfairly probably on my co-host and say, oh, I think this or I think that. But hand it over to you. You're the guest host, Sonia. What what stood out? Um, oh, such a great question. I think one of the first things that stood out was... Shree's comments around where the DNI function should sit. Yeah. As a DNI coach and as the founder of a diversity community, I found those comments enlightening um, and, and a different perspective, right? I have two thoughts about that. One is I completely agree what she's saying around it sitting under the CTO and many people thinking it is generally the people line or the function line. Whereas in if I was to play devil's advocate, I believe that if we put it under one technical function, then it's not as intersectional as it can be. And so mm-hmm. for me, I personally believe that we need like a chief diversity officer, a chief equity officer. That's the future so that we have one person who is literally managing and responsible for a team who is then looking at the uh, concept principles and policies around diversity, equity and inclusion from an intersectional lens. Yeah, I mean, I suppose the two ways that I look at it are, I get what she's saying around data and what we've been doing to this point clearly isn't working as an industry. Otherwise, we would have seen greater progress over the last 10, 20 years than we have. But it's a very luxurious position to be in because there's a lot of organisations who don't have a full-time DI and E person at all, hence your very existence and, and profession, right? So for, for a lot of organizations, it's winning the argument that you need someone in a full-time capacity, never mind where it reports into. And I think where Cherie is at is maybe not the destination, as you've just pointed out, because it should be maybe a C-level role in itself sitting on the board rather than reporting into a board sponsor. But it's a, a step or two ahead maturity wise of most organizations absolutely my favorite thing that she said was that she has lived it she's experiencing it and now she's working to change the policy which mm-hmm. is so fundamental in any dni role organization coach consultant or practice it is not enough just to go and train yourself. You have to live and breathe the problems to understand what really and truly can be done. And, and you know, her, her kind of her, her upbringing, 
her the fact that she has a computer science degree and then her going out actively to preach and say you know we need to get more girls into stem but not just by shouting about it it's like what do we actually do that is the core of diversity inclusion practices all round and that's what organizations need to invest into it's even if we can't bring someone in full time let's commission someone let's have an audit let's have someone to come in even if it's one day a week to do it properly and that means investment it means initial you know time resource funding but it means that you can start with a clean state and start strong rather than have to redo efforts and a lot of the time that's my problem with companies is you know my I, I ask I ask a question at what point is your team too big not to consider diversity and inclusion for me the number is three after three people in your team, you know that you have to be representative. So if we're then trying to change companies of 3,000, 30,000 employees, it's very difficult. Yes. Yeah. And look, I mean, I look at this through the lens of, of, of working in an organization where I like to think that we are reasonably inclusive. And I, I look at it through the lens of, an, of, of a career where I've spent 13 years in the same business, right? But it's it's always actually had a mantra of, of paying attention to stuff like this. Um, we were very lucky to have someone called Carol Rosati who received an OBE for her work um, who really led uh, the forefront of Harvey Nash having uh, an understanding around um, inclusion for, for, for a very long time before it was really on the agenda of, of the government and so on. But at the same time, we've never had someone in a full-time D, I, and E role. And even now, it's our chief people officer that drives this with a volunteer council internally rather than a full-time head. Now, I have no doubt that our CPO would dearly love there to be a full-time function, but it's, you know, it says to me that... It takes time and it, it would take a huge amount of time to create probably the political, well, I don't know, hopefully it would take less time than I think to create the political capital to make that happen within the organisation. But like you're saying, um, organisations of thousands of staff take a long time to turn. They, they, I suppose they're like oil tankers in a certain way. And that's not me saying that our business is inflexible because that's certainly not the case, but um, it just takes time for a lot of these things. And that's why you start as you start building your business because obviously as you've said the the larger you are as a business the more functions the more hierarchy the more people you have to go through to sign things off but equally when we go back to international women's day international women's day is not just a day of panels and events and workshops historically it's a movement that started to show that women are are receiving unequal and unfair treatment any mm. of that comes around with pay gaps, um, you know, unpaid labor, domestic violence, the lack of education. So as much as we are celebrating the woman around us, we also need to be taken into consideration and, and pledging real action points that we're going to take at the back of that. Right. So yeah. if we know that women are lacking education, if they are the minority when it comes to numbers within business okay reverse mentoring uh donate your time you know volunteer with communities if we know that we are not getting the ethnic minorities that we need within the businesses great go to the areas or the schools that 
you know, make up the, the make up the majority and talk to them, remind them of who they are mm. and make sure that they can go somewhere in the future. Mm. I, I we, we mentioned before we started recording, but you know, in Germany and Russia, today is a bank holiday. In in Spain, women are protesting or given the day off. That is that is actual change because you're you have a day back to yourself, which means you're, you know, one one less day that you're not paid for which is significant in, in actually many countries and many states and all around the world. And so it really is, yes, you're celebrating, which is amazing, but what is your company doing today to make sure that next year we're not having the same conversation? And look, I do think that this is really important, right? Because there is a lot of hype. There is a lot of noise. There are a lot of panels. And I know you were saying that, you know, people are perhaps sick of panels and they want to see action, but this is on the back of a year, um, where the pandemic has obviously changed the way that we work and live, where um, there have been reports out suggesting that that women's um, working situations have been diminished, that they've been pushed back into into traditional gender stereotyped roles, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because kind of people people are very keen to talk about. Um, neurodiversity they're keen to talk about minority groups they're keen to talk about other forms of of uh, inclusion and diversity and absolutely rightly so you know it shouldn't be that it's dominated by gender and everything else is, is put to the side but i've always kind of felt like the gender debate is a is almost like um like a door opener to the rest of the inclusion movement and actually this is a really good touch paper to get everything else moving at the same time i agree with you so i don't know if you are aware or anyone who's listening is aware but through the lmf network we have researched and um created reports around diversity inclusion for the common person to read and what i mean by that is a lot of people within businesses within networks aren't receiving the training the education because obviously like we already mentioned the companies maybe don't have the time the investment or the budgets at the moment so many people are losing out but actually what we found is less than 50% of people know how diversity impacts the day to day only 85% of those participated know what community means and less than 40% know what intersectionality or neurodiversity means. So exactly to your point, there are so many other areas of diversity inclusion that exist that haven't even been touched, that haven't even been considered. But one, we have to think about it from an intersectional approach, which means that we have to put various lenses that already exist in relation to oppression, in relation to inequalities. But most importantly and fundamentally, we need to we need to get gender right. Mm. How is it that it's 2021 and we still are focused on gender? Well, I, I almost fear that there's this kind of attitude at the minute from some organizations that it's like, oh, look, let's not talk about gender anymore because we've been talking about that for a long time. We need to be talking about neurodiversity. And it's not diminishing the fact that we need to talk about those things, but it's almost like it's trendy to talk about those things. We've been talking about gender for a long time and we've been, you know, we've kind of done that. We haven't done that. We haven't done that. Otherwise, there would be higher than 17% proportion of women working in the technology sector. And actually, moving on to other forms of inequality uh, in a in a either or situation is not going to help anybody. It's got to be that, yes, the, the whole debate is expanded out into other forms of inclusion, but not to, to forget the fact that actually there's a huge amount of work that hasn't been done. 
Absolutely. And when you even think about it from a gender lens, right, let's make it really simple. I identify as a brown woman. That doesn't mean that my barriers or my um, opportunities or the allyship that may I, I may need is the same as someone who identifies as a white woman or a black woman. And so we need to consider it, yes, from an intersectional lens, but the first and foremost topic is women make up half of the population and yet they do not make up more than 20% of any business functional unit from an organizational standpoint. Those numbers need to be addressed before we start thinking about how do we get more brown people? How do we get more disabled people? How do we get more uh, you know, dyslexic people? It's not to say that the others don't matter because actually they matter even more. But the mm. point is, we're talking mm. about inclusion, we're talking about belonging. So if people cannot feel like they belong in their own skin, in their own gender, in their own identity that was given to them or that they have chosen to be, how are they going to feel like they can be a woman who is then brown, who is an invisible disability if she's not accepted as a woman to begin with? And so there is, you know, it, it's deeper. And I, I personally, I don't give brownie points or, you know, I don't clap for companies who have increased representation by one, two, three percent. Because when you think about it in numbers, out of a hundred people, one percent is one. It's taken you five years to increase it by one percent. Hmm. That cannot be okay. And that's why reports like the gender um uh the, the report on sorry uh you know gender is really important because in order for you to create change, we need to know what numbers we're working with. What is the data? What are the actual figures? And and hold people accountable. And we can do that as consumers, as community, as as you know, customers of the planet. We can hold companies accountable, but we need to be brave enough to do so as well. So, look, just to to finish off um, this conversation, it's International Women's Day, two thousand twenty one. Uh, when we get to two thousand twenty two, what do you? hope perhaps might have changed one thing is i would like companies to release data on where they are today and where they plan to be in the next three to five years the second Mm. thing is to commission diversity inclusion consultants who have lived experience um and and strategic you know political knowledge to come into your workplace even if it's once a month even if it's for a month let's say but but the the point being you know come in and have someone audit your strategy and then implement new processes and the last thing is companies who are working to put on these panels put on these workshops i'd rather you invest your time your funding your effort in supporting communities like my own and others that already exist to do the great work that we're carrying on to do rather than taking on yourself to do something which is already being done, but just 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 doing it yourself. I feel like that's extra effort. That's not necessary, right? I'd rather you work with communities, charities, focus groups that are focused on that topic 365 days of the year, live and breathe it and can make the impact, knowing that we have your backing, rather than you feel like you have to go out of your way to do it yourself, because sometimes that is not as effective. And it just means that, as we all know, the week around International Women's Day is super noisy. So if you, mm. you know, sometimes it's hard to attend everything because there's so much going on, but you want to because it's so good. Yeah, 
No, it's a really interesting point, isn't it? Because as you said, there are communities out there who are committed to this every single day of the year. And there are some organizations who will be incredibly well-meaning in their intentions, but will talk about it a lot for a week or two, and then it will be put to the back shelf until this time next year. And when I say put to the back shelf, I don't mean that in a derogatory sense. It's just that something else will come along that is important in that moment. And to your point, it's about priorities, right? If you want to make real change, you need to take a step back, regardless of who you are and what position you are within the organization, and do some kind of 360 feedback session, really simply, to yourself, to your organization, what really needs to be, uh, what what is system, systematic and systemic change, what are the policies and processes we need to change, we need to implement, take a step back and prioritize what that looks like. I yep. think companies who are trying to do everything are not going to be good at doing one thing, but companies who can focus on, you know, maximum three things. And what I say to many people is just focus on one per quarter, but do it really well. And that impact is slow, but it's substantial and it will feed down to the rest of your organization and they'll live and they'll breathe it. Because fundamentally, mm-hmm. when we're talking about International Women's Day, when we're talking about diversity inclusion, we're talking about belonging. We're, we're talking about people who feel like they can show up as themselves and that they're respected for it, that they're treated equally and that everything is equitable and fair. And that's belonging. And that's what we want to end up. Well, look, I really appreciate you spending some time, Sonia. I know it's a, a very busy day for you today. So uh, thanks for taking out some time this morning to chat. And uh, to anyone listening, I hope you had a wonderful day yesterday. But remember that it's not just one day. Thank you so much. I don't-